If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to The Eurotrip. Your favorite Eurovision podcast. When you aren't listening, find us on social media. At Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Warming you up for the Eurovision Song Contest. Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of the Eurotrip Podcast. Well, I say a brand new episode. It kind of is. It kind of isn't. Hello, it's Rob with you. I hope you're well. I am back. I have returned from my honeymoon in Hungary. I had a lovely time in Budapest. Thank you very much for asking. And I will be telling you more about it on next week's podcast. We will return with a proper episode of the Eurotrip next week. So we will be back next Wednesday for all the fun and games that you'd normally expect. And of course, we will be starting our rewind series now for those of you that don't know on rewind we deep dive into a past edition of the eurovision song contest we hear from some of the artists that were there we hear from people who were behind the scenes we go behind the curtain to tell you everything that was happening at that eurovision song contest all of the stories you might have missed all of the juicy gossip it's all there now last year we did some brilliant episodes delving into the archives and this year 
we're going to do the same thing. We're going to do six episodes of Rewind, so six past editions of the Eurovision Song Contest. We have already selected them. We're already working hard behind the scenes to find the best guests and the best storylines from those editions of the Eurovision Song Contest, which is why we'll be back next week, because we're working so hard to get those ready for you. But this week, as a little treat, and to remind you what to expect from our Rewind series, we thought we would go back to last year and give you another chance to hear one of our previous editions of Rewind as we explore Eurovision 1993. Now, I won't tell you too much about the year because you're going to find out in this week's episode as we delve back into our own archives and the Eurovision archives. Heading back to the 90s, and the glory days of Ireland at the Eurovision Song Contest. Hope you enjoy this. A reminder that we're always available on social if you want to get in touch. We are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, on threads as well. You can also give us an email. We are hello at eurotrippodcast.com and we're on TikTok too. So please do keep getting in touch over the course of the next few days while we get ready for our brand new series here on the Eurotrip as we start our build up to Eurovision 2024. Still sounds strange to say, doesn't it? But for now, because we wanted to still give you a little treat this week, let's go back to what happened last year when we rewound to Eurovision 1993. When you aren't listening, find us on social media at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Let's rewind. So as we always do then, let's set the scene for you as we celebrate... 1993. Now, what was the world like? John Major was entering his fourth year as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Manchester United will become the first champions of the newly created Premier League. And George Michael, Lisa Stansfield and Queen were on top of the UK charts when Eurovision hit our screens. All three of them. Yeah, Kel Surprise, I don't know what that song is. I didn't know what number one was last week when we did 2004. I don't know what that one is. Clearly, my pop music knowledge uh, of, of these eras is is lacking. Isn't I it? mean, in your defence, you weren't alive in 93. That is true. That's true. That's my defence. Um, but on the topic of Eurovision, Ireland was gearing up to host the contest on the back of their win the previous year with Linda Martin. This was due to be the fourth time that the nation had hosted the Eurovision Song Contest. But it wasn't going to be any ordinary edition of the contest in 1993. No. Now, due to the breakup of Yugoslavia, more countries than ever before were wanting to take part. So the first ever pre-qualifying round took place in the April of 93, with seven countries vying for just three places in the main contest. Your Excellencies, ladies and gentlemen, good evening and welcome to the Studio One of TV Slovenia, where is to be held this year's pre-selection for the Eurovision Song Contest. It's my pleasure to be your host tonight and to wish you all watching us now in Bosnia and Herzegovina, Estonia, Croatia, Hungary, Romania, Slovakia and Slovenia, as well as in Denmark, Portugal, Spain and Cyprus, a pleasant evening of music. Yeah, that's kind of the first ever Eurovision semi-final, I guess. It is. You know, last week we did 2004, where it was the first official Eurovision semi-final. But I guess this one, in inverted commas, was a Eurovision semi-final, wasn't it? Yes, as you heard in the clip there, that was taking place in Ljubljana, the Slovenian capital. All seven looking to take part in Eurovision for the very first time. And in the end, it was Slovenia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, 
and Croatia, who qualified from the pre-selection and would go on to join the other 22 countries for the Eurovision Song Contest of 93 in Ireland. But whereabouts in Ireland? Now, here's Ireland's representative from that year, Neve Kavanagh, talking about a businessman from the small town of Mill Street. It was a real stroke of genius by Noel C. Duggan. He just said, why, I'll give you the venue for free. Now, it cost him a fortune to hold it there because <laughs> they had to put the infrastructure in and he got all of the roads done around and the, the railway station was... He absolutely future-proofed his town by doing it. But the thing about the one in 1993 is it wasn't in a city. It was basically in a town of about 1,500 people. There was less people living in that town that ended up at the gig, right? And actually, people felt like they really lived Eurovision completely for a year and for that whole week. If you went to that Eurovision, you were a part of something that was very separate. When it goes into cities, as wonderful as it is, that it's also absorbed by the city and the city is still existing and all the other stuff is still going on. Nothing else was going on except Eurovision. An incredible story, James. And I think one of the most iconic venues that Eurovision's ever been in, purely because it was a surprise to both the location and everyone else that Eurovision ended up there in the first place. Yeah, I don't think Neve mentioned it there, but this was literally an equestrian centre in the middle of nowhere. The, the town had 1,500 people living there, and it, clearly the, the population of the town more than doubled when Eurovision actually came along. It was just a bonkers place. You wouldn't get that nowadays, would you? You definitely wouldn't. No, absolutely. The only thing I can try and compare it to is remember when we had Eurovision in Harrogate in 82 over, yeah. in, over in Yorkshire? It's not similar. Harrogate much bigger than Mill Street. But the Eurovision come to town, as we've already said, a huge deal for this tiny town in Ireland. And it took a lot of work to get it Eurovision ready. So we mentioned him earlier on in the episode. He's back. It's Eurovision journalist and historian. Here's Gordon Roxburgh. The arena, talk about, I think it took about three and a half thousand, which compared to sort of 10,000 we look at nowadays. I think one of the venues that's in contention for 2023 failed the criteria because the roof was too low. Well, similar thing kind of happened with the Green Glens Arena. It wasn't quite big enough, so they had to actually dig down, so down into the floor in order to increase the overall height. So that was their solution. Isn't that mad? They lowered the floor of the arena so that the roof was high enough. I would never think of doing it that way. I think I'd always think of building up, but they, they dug down. Honestly, the things that had to be done to make that Eurovision go ahead beggars belief, doesn't it? But remarkably, despite all of that, Eurovision did actually get underway in 1993 at 8pm on the 15th of May. Her name is And She's 28 years of age, she's from Belfast, and she will address all of you in three languages, Gaelic, French, and of course, the main language of communication, English. The thing with the, the speaking of the languages was my, I was pretty proficient in French and um, Irish as well. These were all rehearsed. And so, you know, the, we, we had prepared what we were going to say. And so I had rehearsed it. So I, I knew I was pretty much on top of it. I think the thing with live television that you can't prepare for is are those situations, for example, like, you know, the jury is not calling in when they're supposed to or something happening on stage and going wrong. So uh, as as uh, immodest as it sounds, the languages didn't really were the least of my concerns because that was the one thing I knew I could rehearse. Very impressive, isn't it? How she just kind of took that all in her stride. 
Yeah, honestly, remarkable, isn't it? I remember I watched that. Uh, I watched the contest back, and when Terry introduced her and said she was doing it in three languages, the first solo presenter for about five years, I think. I was thinking to myself, "Blimey, what a task that must have been!" But uh, quite clearly, it wasn't at all. That was uh, Fanula Sweeney, by the way, the presenter of Eurovision 1993. I managed to catch up with her the other day for this, and she has so many great memories from that contest. And one of them is the fact that it didn't really bother her <laughs> that she had to do it all solo in three languages. Remarkable. Yeah, great work from you securing Fanula to chat to us for this edition of Rewind. Really good job. It's probably about time that we focus on summer music, though. And we will start with the Swedish entry that year, which, of course, if you're a Melody Festival fan, I'm sure you're quite familiar with. That's right, Melfest veterans, Arvin Garner, as I think many of us say, or Arvingana, as uh, the Swedish would say, <laughs> uh, were representing Sweden in 1993 with the amazing song, in my opinion, Eloise, one of my all-time favourites, and have since competed in the national final a further five times, most recently in 2021. Yeah, they are always a brilliant addition to Melody Festival, and I always look at them as kind of Sweden's take that. Is that about right, do you think? Yeah, I think so. They're sort of like the they're also like the 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 comforting dads or uncles in the yeah. family where you kind of you, you see them and you think ah, that's okay. We're in safe hands now. Absolutely. No, you really really do. Now, shall we move on to song 18? So from Sweden, we move to Bosnia and Herzegovina, and they of course were also making their Eurovision debut as we heard earlier on. They qualified from that special pre-selection held in Slovenia. Well, here's Gordon Roxborough once more. Well, yeah, I mean, Bosnia were one of the three that did qualify through that Eastern European qualifier, but they were still at war at the time in the civil war that's gone in Yugoslavia. But uh, they were determined to participate, and certainly the artist managed to catch the flight, and unfortunately the conductor wasn't able to make it, so the one conductor short, and uh, Noel Keelahan took on conducting duties for, for the Bosnian entry. And one of the things that has been observed was for uh, a group of singers who are supposedly from a war zone, they were remarkably very well dressed. was just to bring our story to the living rooms of the ordinary people so they know what's going on in Bosnia. And I think we were very successful because we had such a huge media attention. And we were able to articulate basically why did we come there uh, and what is our mission and what our song represents. At the same time, we didn't look for pity, we didn't look for charity. We didn't look, I mean, you know, for, uh, for to, to, to create sorrow or something like that. We wanted to be professional every step of the way. And I think uh, 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 the, the, the best satisfaction was that we won basically Grand Prix for the best dressed. Sva <laughs> 
So that was Mohamed Fazlagic, better known as Fazla, chatting to me about representing his country. Interestingly as well, he mentioned what, uh, what Gordon said as well, that they were very well dressed, despite coming from a country that was at war. Um, so I asked Fazla about this, and he said when he left Bosnia for Eurovision, he spoke to a fashion designer friend of his in Croatia and asked her to put together the best outfit possible. And clearly, she did so. Yeah, the fact that, and I know we'll, we'll sort of cover this in more detail, but the fact that Bosnia and Herzegovina were at the contest in 93 is absolutely incredible. And as you heard from Fazla there, what an amazing, amazing story. But they did it in style. Those outfits, you look <laughs> at the pictures from the, from the contest that year, they were all looking really, really sharp. Yeah, they really were. We'll hear a little bit more from Fazla a little bit later on. And also, uh, let me mark your cards for very soon, perhaps later in the week, uh, that that chat that I had with Fazla um, is one of my dream interviews. I've always wanted to chat to him and I find his story so fascinating. So uh, we are going to bring you that interview in full very, very soon. Yeah, there are, rightly so, and wrongly so, I suppose, some parallels, of course, between Bosnia's participation in the contest in 93 and Ukraine's participation in the contest in 2022. So a really, really interesting conversation, James, that you had with Fazla. And yeah, we are very excited to bring that to you in full because the story of how Fazla and the rest of the group who represented Bosnia and Herzegovina that year got from Sarajevo, went to Zagreb as well as part of the process of recording the song, how they ended up heading to Ireland in the first place. And then what happened after that is, yeah, amazing. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. Very excited for you to hear that in full. But shall we move on to the next song? Because song number 19, directly after Fazla, was The United Kingdom. Uh, so in 1993, they were represented by Sonia, a name I'm sure you will already be familiar with. Uh, she was a very popular British singer from Liverpool at the time, who'd already scored 10 UK Top 40 singles over the previous few years. And she was selected as the artist to compete in the national final, with the public instead just choosing the song they'd like her to perform. So they weren't choosing the artist in the song, they were just choosing the song. And they overwhelmingly chose Better the Devil You Know. When you listen to it, you can see why I say that, having not heard any of the other songs that were competing in that selection. <laughs> but Better the Devil You Know, one of those European songs that stays with you. And it is so nice, isn't it, to see so much of Sonia now when we talk about Eurovision 2023. As a famous Liverpudlian resident and former UK Eurovision artist, I think... We will see Sonia plenty more times between now and May next year. Yeah, absolutely. You know, next year is going to be 30 years, isn't it, since 1993? So 30 years since she competed. It's going to be in her hometown. Yeah, I don't think we're going to be able to move for Sonia, are we, next year? Now, on to the voting then. And in 1993, the voting was still being done, of course, by juries. Televoting, still a few years away. And it was the final year that spokespersons were on the phone rather than in vision, as we're used to now. So when it came to the Bosnian votes to be read out, because of the ongoing war, of course, in the Balkan nation, it was going to be a tricky, but equally a very poignant moment. Well, you know, I'm a journalist by background and I was, you know, as a journalist, I was particularly interested in this story that had been 
dominating a lot of our headlines. But I think what it really did for me in some way was really make me realise what the purpose of the Eurovision Song Contest was about. But it really, it was an idea post-war that was supposed to help countries, bring countries together with the idea of a live song contest. And although that might seem very far away from the realities of war and the obvious difficulties that were taking place in Bosnia-Herzegovina, it really was in that moment when the line crackled and I said, good evening, Sarajevo, may we have your vote, please, where for a few seconds, or at least a second, but it felt like longer, you didn't know whether they were going to be able to come through or not. And and they did. And I think the huge applause that went out in the arena that erupted in that moment was that that connection had been made with this place that seemed very far away, certainly very far away from most people in Europe's realities at that time. It's all still to play for. We'll now go to Sarajevo in Bosnia-Herzegovina. Good evening, Sarajevo. May we have your votes, please? Hello, Sarajevo. We're hearing you. Sarajevo couldn't establish connection with Ireland because we didn't have phones and 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 uh, we didn't have basically connection with the, with the, with the Ireland. I always choked up when I start talking about it. So basically, our jury had to talk to the radio amateurs on the radio, and and the one lady who was uh, leading the Eurovision Song Competition said, "Yes, Sarajevo, we are hearing you." Then and even tonight, I still have goosebumps. I mean, even just hearing it there, it just sort of gives you that overwhelming wave of emotions, doesn't it? Because I don't think we even now can quite comprehend what situ- what the situation was like back in 1993 for, for anybody. Nonetheless, nonetheless, Fazler himself, away from his home country, sitting in the green room, waiting for that call to come in from his hometown. I mean, genuinely remarkable. Yeah, I don't think you can, like you said, really comprehend, really put into words just the, the context that that Bosnia and Herzegovina competing in the contest came in. The country was still under siege on the night of the the contest itself. And, and the fact that we were able to to get through to Bosnia and Sarajevo and and hear them deliver their votes is is such a an important moment. And and even as important as them, you know, taking to the stage and, and singing their entry, their first ever Eurovision entry that year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sticking with the voting, shall we fast forward on this edition of Rewind to the very last set of votes, which would ultimately decide the winner? Uh, so earlier on in the voting, uh, Fanula Sweeney skipped past Malta uh, because uh, apparently there was a problem with the connection to the Mediterranean nation. Uh, so they were going to give out their points last. If the last set of 12 points went to Ireland, then Neve Kavanagh would win. But if they went to the UK, then Sonia would win. Here's how Neve Kavanagh remembers it. That was the most excruciating experience I've ever had in my life. And I've had two children. Luxembourg. Luxembourg. <laughs> Luxembourg. Ten points. Luxembourg. D. Juan. Okay, okay. And finally, Ireland. Ah, oh, that's it. It could have gone to us. It could have gone to the UK. If Malta had voted in order, we would have won a bit earlier on in the show. So I'm slightly suspicious they weren't able to get through to Malta. I could understand why they might not be able to get to Bosnia. I think they created a bit of television gold 
speaking as a person at the centre of it, I could have done without it. Having said that, it is pretty phenomenal, and people still talk about it. It was it was probably one of the closest votes ever. It feels to me like there were so many tense voting sequence finishes in the years that we've kind of covered here and rewind, but but it seems like that was almost the norm back then. I was going to say, could you imagine? I know we get the the new system of, of points being delivered to us on TV now at Eurovision. But back then, you know, when we were having to get every single point delivered, you would think it would just always be a foregone conclusion. But part of me wonders, I don't know if Neve Kavanagh just mentioned it there, but I wonder if they deliberately delayed Malta to last just so they could have this really tense finish. What do you think? What, you think the Maltese spokesperson's on the other end of the phone going, no, I can hear you absolutely fine. Yeah. And the, the <laughs> Islander on the other end going, no, got nothing, you're breaking up, I'm sorry. <laughs> loud and clear, we've got you, no, we've got you loud and clear. No, let's leave it to the end, we want the drama. And thankfully they did, because that drama was intense. Uh, so as we heard, it was Neve Kavanagh who went on to win. Let's hear once more from Fanula Sweeney about how she recalls that night. I mean, I think she worked in a bank at the time and the bank took out an ad and all the Irish newspapers on the Monday saying, take the day off, Neve. Um, and, but she, is, she has the most amazing voice. And I recently saw her on Eurovision, I think it was last year when, when the Dutch hosted it. And she can still reach that incredibly high note that she does in the song. And it's just really a beautiful ballad. And I think that's, you know, very uh, distinctive of Irish songwriting is the ballad. It's a particular strength. Like I said, James, great job to get Fanula on Rewind this week. Really appreciate that. Fazla also, some incredible memories from Bosnia that you'll hear more in full. And of course, lovely to hear Neve Kavanagh as well, of course, once again. Yeah, absolutely. So Neve Kavanagh, of course, won that year. And then we know Sonia uh, came in second. And then we had Switzerland, Annie Cotton in third, France in fourth, and then Norway in fifth. And then for the record as well, we heard about uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina, where Fazla uh, came down in 16th, uh, and Sweden as well, I missed them out, came in 7th place. Very, very nice. Thank you for running us through that final leaderboard. But as ever, there is only one way to finish Rewind for this week. Here is the winner from Eurovision 1993. It's Neve Kavanagh, and in your eyes... My feelings locked inside Made myself an island Tried to take my heart and hide I built a wall around me Afraid of letting go but Suddenly an open door I never saw Neve Kavanagh there, singing us out on Rewind for 1993. It was so much fun last year when we delved back through the archives, going behind the curtain and finding out what happened in Mill Street, of course, in 1993. So I hope that has warmed up your taste buds, if that makes sense, for everything that is to come on this series of Rewind, which will kick off next week. We will be heading back to a contest that is known for... I'm trying to think what I can say to not give too much. It was a year with intriguing postcards and a pretty solid result for the United Kingdom. There we go. That's all I'll say. So that will happen when we return next week. 
and kick off our new series of Rewind. And of course, as I've already mentioned, we will start our build-up proper to Eurovision 2024. So make sure you stay with us, keep in touch with us on social, and we will be back, me and James, next week here on the Eurotrip. So until then, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.